and it's this big plateau and it's wide open and I went off to just on the edge of it and as soon as I went over the edge I found what appears to be a wolf or a coyote den hmm. and I was simply just checking it out it was this springs yeah I find it interesting I was looking all around it and I heard something about 20 yards behind me and I turned around and there's this chocolate covered black bear on its hind feet it's probably 225 pounds, not a giant bear. That's plenty of bear. <laughs> Any bear's plenty of bear. Yeah. These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. Sig is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, Sig Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, Sig Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military, the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SigSauer.com. Well, what's your name? Capen. Capen. Capen, I knew your dad a long time ago, like 12 years ago, maybe. And we were at a scout and armor school in Kentucky. And uh, your dad, I knew, is a really good guy. And your mom was really nice. She was really kind. And she put up with your dad's nonsense. Your dad was really funny. And he was great at impressions. And he was really brave. Those are all the things that I remember about him. Does that sound like your dad? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Capen, I understand you have a deer story to tell. You want to tell me your deer hunting story? Yeah. Okay, let her rip. It's kind of a long story, though. I'm okay with long stories. I think the best stories are long stories. So me and my dad were up at 4 a.m. in the morning. And we were getting ready because we haven't been hunting in a while. Mm -hmm. We got done packing up about like at five. And then we got out there about at 530. And then probably waited at least 30 minutes because we couldn't see anything. And then after those 30 minutes, we could see some deer on the other side of the field across from us. And there's three doe and then like one buck. And then we waited like about an hour or two. And then one of the does eventually came over to us. And 
then we were just hearing stuff like wrestling and stuff. And then all of a sudden, there was just this dough in the field getting ready to go into the shooting area. So then it came a little closer and then I shot and it didn't really do anything. I missed. And then I reloaded it and it just standed there while we reloaded it. And then I shot again and I hit it and then it started running as fast as it could. And then what happened? And then we got out of the sand to go get it. And I was telling my dad before that it was stomping like a buck. And it was by itself. But I just told him it could be a doe because it was with the other does. And then we got over there and we dragged it back to the other side of the field. And, it, and I was getting my picture and I was feeling its head in it. And I felt, felt like little bumps on its head. And I told my dad it was a buck. And he said, it's okay. a doe. It's, I'm like, it's a buck. It's not a doe because I can feel bumps on its head. Yeah. So it was probably just a real young one that was starting to grow antlers. Mm-hmm. Did you eat it? Mm-hmm. Did it taste good? Uh-huh. They taste so good, don't they? And that meat's good for you. It'll make you strong. My friend said the heart is good too. I like eating heart. Yeah. Especially if you don't overcook it. About medium rare. You know, that's kind of where I like to eat heart. So how old are you, Capen? Nine. You're nine. And were you nine mm-hmm. when you got the deer last year? Eight. You're eight. That's a pretty big accomplishment, buddy. I'm proud of you. Now, your dad told me that you like to listen to the podcast from time to time. Mm-hmm. And you like the bear stories? Yeah. Well, we've got a really good bear story coming up right after this. Okay. So this week's podcast is going to be your deer hunting story and then the story of a bear that attacked one of the local hunting guides here. And because your dad is such a good guy and because you're such a good fan, um, and because you're a good sport for coming out here and, uh, and, uh, and telling me the story, you see this thing right here, uh-huh. that's a bear claw from, uh, from a bear that I shot. And when I was get it done the one with, that you shot with the pistol, it, it's a different one. It's a different one. But when I, uh, when I get done with work here, I'm going to drive to town and I'm going to send you this bear claw in the mail so that you can have it. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for coming on the show. It's good to talk to you. You're welcome. I hope you keep hunting. I really liked the episode where you shot the bear with the pistol. Yeah, that was that was pretty exciting. I was real nervous. You're you're gonna like this next bear story a lot too. I promise. Thanks for letting me be on the show. Well, Kevin, you've got a hell of a story to tell. But I got to start a little bit, little bit farther back because the first I heard about you, you were this kid from the lower Valley that was obsessed with hunting and it was something that you were really good at, but you were also struggling with, with school a little bit. And you had to figure out like how to use hunting to be able to help yourself with school. Am I getting that close to right? Yeah. So how did that work? So I, my parents, I have knee injuries, so sports wasn't really an option. Mm-hmm. So motivation for good grades is I could miss some school to hunt as yeah. long as I had good grades. Yeah. 
what were the classes that you're good at or subjects that you're good at versus the stuff that you had a hard time with? So I'm pretty good at math and science, English. I struggle with really hard. Yeah. What about it? I don't understand much about English. (laughs) (laughs) I can speak it and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. So is reading hard? Yeah. I'm not very good at reading. Yeah. It's a, it's a struggle. So how, how did you, how did you manage that? Because reading is something you have to do in every subject. So I, my sister and mom are very good at English and they spend a lot of time to help me with it. That's nice. And then, uh, tell me about, tell me about hunting. Like what was it about hunting that you're able to sort of sink your teeth into it? So I've always loved the chase, getting close to animals, outsmarting something that lives in that environment. Yeah. How old are you? I'm 18. 18. How long have you been uh, guiding? I started guiding on my own about 14. Okay. And you guided with other people before that? Yep. Yeah. My dad's been a guide ever since I can remember. What kind of animals do you guide for? Mainly elk, buffalo, mule deer, few whitetail. Okay. What's your favorite? Definitely elk. Definitely elk? Yep. Why? I just love calling. Yeah. What about it? Just the adrenaline of getting something that close to you. Yeah. Tell me some some stories about uh about calling elk in recent years. Um. So actually, this year didn't have much time to hunt because the fires in the wilderness, and I was guiding most of the season. But the last morning of the season, I took my buddy out, and he was hunting with a traditional bow, and I had got on this bull the day before, but he hung up at eighty, and I was. He wasn't coming to a cow call at all. He had about 15 cows. That's tough. Yep, and this real thick timber, and we were probably 100 yards away when I first bugled, and I heard him running across the river. And we got set in a little meadow, and he came out at 13 yards, and my buddy was just set a little bit too high up. He wasn't kneeling to the ground, and the bull saw him and ran off, but it was pretty special to get one running into 13 yards. The kneeling thing is oftentimes a problem. And I don't know, I don't know what it is, but guys will often just automatically take a knee before they need to. And it's not the position that they practice shooting from the most. It's really limiting when an elk comes in and and how you can shoot. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm very pro just standing up. I usually am too. This situation, we were in a meadow and we were at, got caught out in the open. Oh. And you if get you had a kneel, the, yeah. 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 I called a bull in for, for uh, my best friend this year. And we had this bull talking pretty good in a little thicket. And then there was a meadow that I was going to be on the far side of. And he was going to go to the bull's side of the meadow. So that when, when the bull came out you know, ideally his hangup point was going to be right at the edge of the meadow. And then, you know, whether it was left or or right of my buddy, you know, when he hung up, we're going to have a good broadside shot right there. But he ended up coming out to basically the side of the meadow. So now my buddy had to turn like almost 180 degrees to shoot him because he ended up coming between us and coming out across the middle of this meadow. And I didn't, know what was going on you know i'm just focused on keeping the bull there as long as possible stopping him as often as possible and figuring out you know where shooting lanes are because you know if your shooter's away from you oftentimes you don't know 
quite what they're seeing or like there's a limb in the way who knows what so i was just trying to keep the bull there and you know my my poor friend was like trying to figure out how to you know spin a 180 on his knees while <laughs> this bull was right there at like 30 yards it was great though i mean there there's just nothing better it's so much fun it is last week the elk were really talking great i i felt like better than rifle seasons in the past I didn't have much luck calling, but we were hunting high enough. There was snow on the ground. Yeah. So, uh, who is your client? Um, so, there's three of them. Okay. One of them was Jerry Boykin and Stu Weber. Okay. And the third guy was a guy I've never met before. He was a really nice guy, though, and he ended up killing a pretty nice five-point. Um, who's Jerry Boykin? Um, he is a retired general of the Army. Mm-hmm. He was involved in Black Hawk Down and Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. He's a really cool guy. Delta Force guy? Yep. Yeah. And Stu was, he's a Green Beret in Vietnam. Wow. Wow. It's cool those guys are still out there getting after it. Yeah. I've gotten to know Kyle Lamb a little bit at some shooting events, and he was involved in the, in the Black Hawk Down thing and, and some other really significant military events throughout time. We focus a lot as a society on like military events that they make movies about because otherwise how do you really learn about them maybe in a textbook or something but there's very few people that I come across that can name like a single battle in Afghanistan or you know a lot of them can't even name a single city in Afghanistan which is fine but uh you know if they make a movie about it then everybody knows you know, you'll run into a lot of people that know about Black Hawk Down, but if you ask them what country it happened in or what city it happened in or what year, it's like, uh, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, we made a movie. But some legendary dudes. So uh, how did the elk hunt go? I saw a lot of elk. saw some pretty good bulls. It was pretty tough. There's The conditions weren't great. Yeah. A little bit of fog and... Lots of miles to cover. Yeah. It can be a real challenge for for older folks or, or from people that come from lower elevation or aren't used to steep country just to get around. Yeah, very hard. Yeah. Makes it pretty challenging getting, I mean, elk a lot of times you have to almost run to catch up to them. Yeah. And when that's not an option, it makes it a lot harder to get in range. Yeah. Yeah, especially as a younger guide, you'll get better at that because... uh you know, you'll you'll just develop more patience as you go, um, which sounds crazy right now to you. I know because I was once in your shoes, but you you will develop more patience, and then you'll also get more experience hunting where maneuver isn't an option because a lot of our clients just can't get around very well. So as you just develop a little bit more experience with that, you'll figure out ways to, you know get get ahead of the elk or be where they're going or manage the wind a little bit differently. So, well, I want to hear, I want to hear it. I want to hear it in every, every detail. If it takes you 45 minutes to tell me, um, take 45 minutes, but break it down for me. Well, so probably 45 minutes prior to the bear encounter, I saw one of the biggest bulls I've ever seen on that property giant six point at about 150 yards and he went up onto this knob and I was out by myself 
and my dad was with the hunters because with people that have limited mobility, a lot of times I'll go find elk and then go back and try to get them closer. So I went and got one of the hunters and we tried to get him. It took us about 30 minutes to get there probably. And the bull was gone, but I knew what canyon he went into. There's a little bit of snow. I was thinking, all right, well, I can just get over this edge and I can glass and see if I can pick him up again. The hunter was pretty tired and cold, so I had my dad come pick him up, and I went off by myself. And it's this big plateau, and it's wide open, and I went off to just on the edge of it. And as soon as I went over the edge, I found what appears to be a wolf or a coyote den. Hmm. And I was simply just checking it out. It was this springs. Yeah. I find it interesting. I was looking all around it, and I heard something about 20 yards behind me. And I turned around, and there's this chocolate-covered black bear on its hind feet. It's probably 225 pounds, not a giant bear. That's plenty of bear. <laughs> Any bear's plenty of bear. Yeah. And at that point, I decided it was time to load my pistol. Okay. Just for precautions. I've been around a lot of bears and never had any real scary experiences, but... What kind of pistol were you carrying? Um, it was a Smith & Wesson M&P 2.0 in 40... 40 Smith and Wesson. Yeah. Okay. So you had a magazine inserted, but no round in the chamber? Nope. So I racked a shell in. And then at that point, the bear was down on the ground and he slapped the ground with his paws. And usually that's a defensive yeah. posture. And I wasn't too concerned at that point. So I just hollered at him a few times, telling him to get. And at that point, he did a little false charge, probably came to about 15 yards. Okay. I shot one time and I hit right below him okay. on purpose. I was trying to stop him. Yep. And at that point, I don't, I haven't really seen many black bear attacks, but from what I've seen grizzly bears attack, they kind of pick their front feet up when they're running. Mm -hmm. He started doing that. And I shot at that point five times when he was running at me and I hit him at least three of those times. Okay. And the last shot when he was running at me, it was two, three feet away. And then with his front paw, he put it on my rib cage and tackled me to the ground. And he was on top of me. I'd hit him pretty hard, so I don't think he was thinking real straight. He didn't claw me or bite me. I got slobber stains on my hat from where he grabbed my hat. And he picked himself up and he ripped my coat, mm -hmm. shredded my coat. And his back foot stepped on my ankle and sprained my ankle. And then he rolled off of me. I kind of grabbed him with my one hand and pushed him and he, with that. And he was moving away a little bit already. He rolled off of me and I shot him one more time at point blank range. And he got up and ran probably hundred yards is the last place I saw him. At that point, it probably took me 15 seconds to figure out what was going on. And I got up and I got to a big meadow, probably 150 yards away, that big plateau. And I sat by a rock probably 15 minutes while my dad came and picked me up in a vehicle. But I remember that 15 minutes, my hands and legs and my whole face were just completely numb and I couldn't even think straight. Yeah. And from the bear, my coat has blood stains all over it. And my dad got there, and I had to have him unzip my coat and make sure it was mine because I couldn't feel anything. Wow. But luckily, just 
bruised ribs and sprained ankle. Did you go back and look for the bear? We went back briefly, but we're actually going to go back tonight and look for the bear. Okay. It's been about five days, yeah. but with my shot placement in thick timber, really thick timber, I wasn't up for it for a while. Yeah, I don't blame you. We just went out and did a little uh, a little pistol shooting lesson here behind the studio. And, uh, you know, you, you had told me after this happened that you weren't super confident in, in shooting a pistol. Do you feel a little bit better now? Definitely feel better now. Okay. Um, I'm sure glad that you had one on you. Yeah, me too. Because that, that is oftentimes the difference. And we're, we're hearing that over and over again is, you know, the difference between people that get attacked who have bear spray and the people that get attacked who have guns, you know, is usually a reduction in injury, um, or, or no injury at all for the people that, uh, that are carrying a gun and know how to use it. And you can always practice. You can always get better looking back at it now, you know, and this happened, like you said, about five days ago, what would you do differently? I probably wouldn't have shot the ground in front of it. I would have probably just started shooting the bear. Yeah. I do not believe in warning shots as a rule. And, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. What else? Um, I'd have a bigger caliber pistol. I actually recently got a bigger caliber pistol. Yeah. You're shooting very well. Yeah. You're shooting great. There's, there's a balance with, uh, with caliber size. And, you know, if I could shoot an Abrams tank, I would do that, you know, but it's too heavy to carry around with me. That's what my, my good buddy Grant tells me all the time is if he could put an M1A1 in his pocket, he would do that, but it's impractical. So with, with handguns, we've got to find that balance of like, okay, how, how light can I make this gun and still have it so that it shoots well? You know, how, how much caliber can I put in it? You know, how big of a cartridge can I put it? And I can still shoot it well and still be able to carry it around. Right. You know, a 12 gauge is a wonderful thing, but it's no fun to carry a 12 gauge around with you all the time. No. So you've just constantly got to find that balance. So now you've got a 1911 45, you're shooting it great. I think if you keep practicing with that, you're going to be lethal with that gun. And, uh, we didn't really talk about it earlier, but ammo is expensive and it's hard to come by. You can practice for free by dry firing and make that, that grip and stance that we went over just part of who you are as a person. So that, you know, as soon as you touch that gun, your body and your mind and your eye all know exactly what to do so that the next time this happens, the next time a bear squares off with you at 20 yards, it's going to be getting 200, 400, 600, 800 grains of whoop ass coming straight into its face. No slapping the ground and coming up and tearing your jacket. The, uh, I, I know it's not what you're used to wearing, um, but the folks at, at Cryptech sent you a new jacket this morning. It'll get here in the mail in the next couple of days. I'll bring that down to you. We're going get to your, get your gear replaced for you at a minimum. Yeah, I'm glad you're okay. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you're okay. And, uh, and they are too. You know, it's a, it's a hard enough thing being a young guide. You know, it's, uh, there's not not a huge amount of money in it. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours. Like you said, you know, you've got 
got some knee problems already and you've decided to pick one of the heaviest animals in the country to specialize in. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you got some good times ahead of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what other kinds of hunting do you like to do? Uh, my favorite's probably waterfowl hunting. Yeah. Have yeah. you, sh- have you gotten after it much this year? Not this year at all. I haven't had much yeah. time with, usually the fall's pretty busy. Me and my dad go to Arkansas every January for a week. Okay. What are you doing Friday? Uh, nothing. I don't think. Want to go duck hunting? Sure. Let's go duck hunting on Friday. I I scouted some birds this morning and they're looking, looking like they're ready. So I brought my poor, uh, my poor lab with me elk hunting last week. And of course she didn't get to come on any of the hunts. And every day that I'd leave, you know, she'd see me, see me with a pistol or whatever. And yeah, she was just losing her mind. And so I promised her that we'd hunt as soon as I got back. So we'll go, uh, we'll go shoot some birds on Friday morning. Anybody you want to bring with you? Uh, you know, Zane Herman's. Sure. Of course. He's a good buddy. Yeah. Zane's been on the show. Sounds good. We'll do it. What advice do you have for the young men and women out there who are just getting into guiding? Um, biggest thing I would say is you got to earn respect. Usually the older generation really respect me. I have a hard time with the middle-aged people finding respect, and it's got better throughout the years, but just being confident. Okay. So what are some ways that you feel like you've earned that respect? Working hard, being really respectful and just showing them that I'm not just a kid. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. How do you feel like you know what you're doing? Uh, seeing the growth of success throughout the years. Definitely. Yeah. What, what areas are you looking to grow in moving forward? Like skills and success? Like what, what kind of stuff are you working on right now? Personally? Um, still, you always can be a better caller, being a better shot. Been into archery hunting pretty heavily the last few years. Yeah. Say you can always be in better physical shape. We always say that if you can shoot and you can walk, you can usually find a lot of success. Yep. And shooting in realistic scenarios. Yeah. That's a big one. I find that a lot of practice, you know, they might be learning something about the gun, but they're really not learning how to shoot it. Same thing with a bow. People tend to be pretty static, you know, most most people's rifle practice is just off of a bench at the range and that's great for sighting in that's how i sight in but as soon as the gun is zeroed and then i've confirmed you know that that all my dope is correct now's the time to be going out and practicing different shooting positions and figuring out you know how that bullet reacts in the wind and you know, learning what seven miles an hour versus 10 miles an hour of wind feels like and looks like. And, you know, does, does uh, five miles an hour of wind move tree limbs or does it just move grass? Um, you know, what kicks dust up off the ground, all that stuff. Like that's what people need to be practicing, not just banging out five shots into a piece of paper and being like, yep, she's good. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> find a lot of people have a hard time laying down to shoot as well which is yeah obviously one of the more stable methods yeah the most stable no one of my hunters last week uh missed a shot uh laying down and shooting over a stump that was cut low to the ground it was like if you cut a tree down 
with the thought that someday somebody will shoot off this stump at an elk. That's how I would have cut that stump. It was the perfect height. It was like nine inches off the ground. It was like, this is dreamy, but it's something that she hadn't practiced. Right. And you just cannot expect to possess a skill that you don't practice. Yeah. I notice a lot of, especially with archery downhill shooting and uphill shooting I had a yeah. client this year come he's a phenomenal shot with a bow and he hunts whitetail. So he does shoot out of tree stands quite often, but had a bull at 45 yards downhill, a nice six point, And he shot over it twice. Yeah. 45 yards is a long shot on an animal. It is. That's a super long shot. Yeah. I don't let myself shoot past 40 on a first shot with a bow. If it's already wounded, I'll shoot at it basically any distance, but. What about you? What are some of the limits that you put on yourself for archery shooting? For archery, I practice a lot. For deer, about 40 yards. They they move quick. Yeah. Elk, I like them inside of 60, definitely. And yeah. downhill, when you're shooting downhill, I always 40. Yeah. Yeah. Do you shoot much differently for a downhill or uphill shot? Um, You got to bend at the hips. Yeah. That's the biggest thing, right? Yeah. People uh, move their arms instead of keeping their shoulders flat. Yeah. It's awkward too. Um, that's an awkward thing to practice and probably one of the biggest advantages to going to these shooting matches in the summer that are on ski hills is you get a lot of angle practice in, in different situations. Do you ever shoot those? I haven't ever. I'm pretty lucky. I have an upstairs window in a two story house. Mom yeah. doesn't love it, but I just shoot out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of shooting that, that uh that moms can get a little bit fussy about but i bet you get your stairs in hoofing down there to get your arrows and come back yep yeah good for you um are you going to arkansas this year yep january 1st through the 7th do you have any more hunts coming up got a couple more cow hunters i think november 15th okay but no second season hunters this year which is kind of a nice break yeah that is nice that is nice you gonna do any upland stuff my dad actually just got a new Brittany, so we'll okay. take him out. Nice. It'll be fun. Well, right on, buddy. Well, this is a this is a short show, but I think we got to the point of it, which is that I'm glad I'm glad that you're safe. I'm glad you're carrying a gun and I hope you find that bear tonight. Yeah. Probably take twelve gauges down tonight. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I'm sure it's dead in there somewhere. If you put four rounds into it, I'm sure I'm sure it's dead right there. Are you thinking that that was a den? I don't know. It was definitely a den. I'm thinking it's probably a little bit bigger than the size of a basketball hole. Oh. It looked pretty big to be a coyote, but bears, I know they can fit in some tight spaces though. Yeah. So he was probably digging something out of there. Yeah. Um, that would make sense. I heard a pretty different theory that on the bears lately, that with the more increased wolves in the area, they're on edge because the wolves are pretty aggressive towards bears. And I've heard that they are a little bit on edge and I don't know if that theory is correct or not, but I know bears and wolves don't get along. Yeah. I just went through the, the cougar management plan and when it got to the section of how cougars act around other, other carnivores, there's just very little data to support anything one way or another. It's a lot of conjecture, but it does make sense without having to think about it a lot to just say, look, 
wolves are going to steal kills from bears. They're going to chase bears up trees. They definitely dig bears out of their dens in the winter and kill them. They're, they're competitors and mortal enemies. And yeah, we also have a freaking pile of bears right now. There are so many bears around. It's insane. And not a lot of them are getting shot. I just saw the numbers from May and there was only 20 bears shot in the Snake River unit in the quarterly report. The guys I took down there, we shot five. It's like, you're telling me we <laughs> we got 25% of the bears that were harvested in the whole unit? It's nuts. But I don't know. We've talked about it with cougars, but non-resident bear tag in Oregon is also $16.50. Starting August 1st, you can hunt until December. Uh, you can hunt the whole state. And uh, if you shoot one fall bear... You can bust out another $16.50, and you can go get another one. So if folks want a good hunt, come out here and help us out with our bears. Well, send me a picture when you find that son of a gun. I want to I wanna see see the bear that, that learned the hard way not to mess with Kevin Plue. Not a fan of bears anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, thank you for your time, and, uh, yeah, keep practicing with that pistol. I will. What I remember is getting up in the dark, shuffling on out to the pickup and climbing in, heading out, headlights going out over the fields and the roads and getting back into the into the mountains and the timber and knowing that there was a, a destination out there that that I was going to be sharing with my dad. And at some point, either during the drive or, or once we got out to some ridge that we were going to be watching when the sun came up, you'd hear that that little squeak of, uh, of the lid coming off of the thermos. And then you unscrew that top part a little bit, pour that coffee or hot chocolate into a cup, and uh, you can just see the little tiny vapors of steam coming off of it, curling up into the morning and holding on to that thing like, like it was a prayer and you know, blowing some of the heat off of it and taking that, that first hot drink in the morning. And then the same thing that evening, you know, because if there was anything left, it was still going to be hot. Like those are core memories. Those are part of, part of growing up and part of being an adult and then sharing that. Now, you know, I'm, I'm getting to share that with my nephew and giving him those experiences. And it's an accessory to the experience. But part of what I remember about hunting and working with my family as a little kid was that there was this green, beat-to-hell, still-going-strong Stanley Thermos. And now there's a complete line of Stanley products out there. And if you go to stanley1913.com, you can look into those and see if there's something out there that you need or that you want or that you would like to give to somebody else. And if you use the discount code 6RANCH, the number 6 and the word RANCH, and you can get 25% off of just about anything in their store. I encourage you to do it. They're great supporters of this show. They're great supporters of this audience. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all of your support and your attention. We're not stopping. We're going strong. And uh, I'm glad to, to pass along this discount to you guys. And I hope that you find something that can help develop that core memory for you and, and the people that you love. Thank you for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week.